I'm going to speak to you today. We've been talking this month about encounters with Jesus, encounters with God, while we've been praying for encounters every Friday night. And I've jumped around. We, had, we talked about Isaiah seeing uh, God's role, God show up in the temple. We talked about Moses encountering God in a burning bush. And today we're going to talk about a woman who comes to Jesus for healing. And she, it's in Mark 5, 21 to 34. Um, I'm going to read the story and then we'll just dive into it. So when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she, got wor- she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out of him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? And you see the, the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. This is a, this is a kind of a crazy story. And I, I love this story as an encounter with Jesus because it's different, I think, than a lot of the other ones and a lot of the ways people typically encounter Jesus. And it, I think it might help us unlock some of these things. I was saying categories in our brain of this is how you approach Jesus and this is how you do things. Well, maybe not, you know, and you'll see that through this. So let's talk about this is a woman who had a problem. She had a problem. They describe it as an issue of blood because um, there's children in here. We'll just say yes. And it's a physical problem. She is continually bleeding. So this would make her weak. This would make her, um, she's having to continually deal with this situation um, physically. But it's also a religious problem because according to um, the codes that the Jewish people were living under, the laws in Leviticus, God has what he calls cleanliness laws regarding the temple and fellowship with each other. And there's laws about different things of people getting hurt or something like that. And when a woman has um, once a month the, the I should, you get what I'm saying. So there was a cleanliness period that had to be <laughs> y'all know what I'm talking about. I, had to, I, I thought I had it all worked out of how I was going to say it, but you know, <laughs> look at my, it doesn't matter. So there is a law about that. You got to kind of take a break for a while. You're, un, you're considered unclean for a period of time. And then you come back and you can do everything. Cleanliness is not sinful. It's different. But it's, it's um, just not ready, ritualistically pure for certain duties and things like that. Okay? And so there's all sorts of ones. Like, for example, touching a dead body could make you um, unclean. And then there's also, you've also heard plenty of, of the laws about foods to eat and different things. So there's all sorts of these laws that God sets up for his purposes. One of them involved bleeding. Um, and so 
it specifically says in Leviticus about how long you have to wait, and then you bathe, and it's fine. And then also, um, if it continues during that whole time, you're considered unclean. So, so we've got a situation where she's got a physical problem that is now causing a religious problem. Because this is continual. It says 12 years now. It's not supposed to last 12 years. It's supposed to last a few days and come, you know, 12 years. This is, not, this is not good. So for 12 years, she's been unclean religiously. Part of that, though, is a big problem because she also has to kind of, there's, when it says, okay, while you're unclean, you've got to do all these things and not be around people, not touch people and things like that. So now she's got a social problem caused by the physical problem that caused a religious problem that now causes a social problem. She can't be around people properly. She has to distance herself. Her touching other people makes them unclean. It's just a mess. So she's been living with this for 12 years. So as I'm talking about this, there's a lot of context to what I'm, what I'm laying out here that you may go, I don't know what he's really getting at. Look at these categories and think about problems in your life, physical problems, religious problems, social problems. Hers are all stacking up, so it's like one big problem of all of these things. She's got a physical problem that's caused a religious problem that's now caused a social problem, which has now caused an extreme social problem that, that it says, or it's more, it's, it's, it's more than likely that she was either divorced or never married because childbearing at that time was very important in the culture so that if a woman was not able to bear children, she was very commonly divorced or just never married because she wasn't clean, you see. This is like really unfair in a lot of ways. So now she's got a physical problem. It's a religious problem. It's called social, general social problems and now extremely intimate social problems. She can't even get married or have kids. She's just stuck. And now, because she's single in that culture, again, there wasn't a whole lot of job options for single women because usually if you were single as a woman, there was something off, you see? So there's like stigma to it. And so... She has a physical problem that's caused a religious problem that's caused a social problem, which has left her alone, and now she has a financial problem. Are there any more problems? I mean, we, I'm sure we can think of a few more, but I mean, she's messed up. She's in a messed up spot. Now, she's not the kind of person that takes things lying down. It says in here, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all she had. That spent all she had part, I think, is important. Because she's not just like whining and laying around and, oh, this is so, I'm so sad this is happening to me. And I'm so da-da-da-da-da. She spent all that she had. She's done everything she knows how to do and the doctors of the day know how to do. And they're not in there going, yeah, give me your money and I'm just going to mess around. Like they're probably, I'm, I'm assuming, doctors generally are trying to do the best they can with what they got. Okay? So I'm assuming these guys are doing the same thing. But she's suffering from this. So now she's got a physical problem. <laughs> It's called a religious problem. It's called a social problem. Wait, physical, religious, social, alone. And she's, she, now she's alone. She has, and she has no more money because she's tried everything she can. And all of that together is making things worse. See, it says she'd spent all, all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. So how many of us can relate to that a little? So like now she's got every kind of problem you can have almost. And she's done every possible thing she can to fix it. And the net, when you run the math equation, is worse. Not better, not even same, worse. That's a low point. If you want to know what a low point is, that's one. So, so she hears about Jesus. 
We don't know exactly how she hears about it, but the word's out. This guy's doing some interesting things. And, um, and so she finds herself, and this is, what, this is where I wanted to really talk about, like, kind of approaching Jesus or how, how that kind of all works, you know, because you see, like, when Jesus is healing the blind guy, one of the blind guys, that uh, um, they're like, hey, he's calling. He's like, hey, and he's, like, coming out and trying to make a big, you know, you're missing, you know, you're healing me, you know, but you're not going to leave before you, you know. We're going to talk, you know, and uh, um, this is different because this this lady knows everything I've told you. She knows all this stuff very intimately. She knows her problem way better than I've even described it. Um, she's lived through it 12 years and all of the ramifications of that. This is not I'm being kind of silly right now, but it's not funny. It's really actually pretty tragic. This is a horribly mistreated alone person because of nothing. that's her fault. She's done everything she possibly can to get better and she's stuck in a situation that doesn't allow her to get better, and she just physically can't. There's nothing she can do about it. She's done everything she possibly can, and she's still just rejected and left in this way. But she hears that this guy is healing people. But she knows that this guy is healing people. He's, I don't know if she knows he's the Messiah yet, you know. Don't think so. She knows something's up. She knows he's a prophet, maybe. A holy man, these kinds of words start to make sense, you know. But he's also a Hebrew man. So all those laws I was telling you about, she he knows, she knows, and God gave them those. So she knows if I touch this guy, according to those laws, he's unclean. That kind of starts to mess with your head, you know. She also knows that like it says there's a crowd pressing in to him, which means like, I mean, we don't see this stuff right now with COVID and everything, but it's like a mosh pit kind of crowd. Like Jesus is trying to go heal a sick daughter. Is that what it says? Daughter? Yeah. And he's on his way to heal somebody, but the crowd's like, you know, you know, me too, me too, me too, this kind of thing. She can't get in there easily without, you know, infecting or you know i say infecting in light of covid but you know she's she's got the potential to make a whole lot of people unclean you know and so i think this is a very interesting approach to jesus because um she takes a risk it's a pretty big risk i think culturally because she's supposed to be it's like her responsibility to um to keep other people clean and this kind of thing and she knows what she's up to she takes a risk, and she sneaks up, and she touches Jesus' cloak, and she's immediately healed. So that's interesting. And I think she was probably like, yes, you know, from low point, now we have high point, right? So plan works. I don't know what she's thinking. It, it only tells us that she thought, if I just touch his clothes, or sometimes it says the hem of his robe, you know, um, I'll be healed. She knows this somehow. And then she sneaks in <laughs> and does it, and it works. And she knows immediately. So I can think that she's like, oh, my gosh. I can't believe how that's awesome, you know. And maybe she's like, oh, trying to sneak back away. And the moment that happens, Jesus goes, who touched me? And I can imagine, so it's like, Extreme low point, which we've established, to extreme high point, 
now to probably even to extreme or low point because you're like, oh, crap. Now, the, you know, <laughs> he knows, <laughs> you know. She knows nobody else knows, but that guy knows. And if that guy knows, that matters. And so, th th and this is why it starts to get, like, I was talking about, like, being aware of what God's doing is not always easy. Okay, guys? So don't think that just because I'm pastor, Kevin's pastor, like, we always know everything that God's doing. God's, God, Jesus is, Jesus is kind of sneaky. I always like to say the tricky thing about Jesus is, or the, uh, how, oh, either way, the tricky thing about Jesus is that he's alive. Like, you know, if, if you're talking about Abraham Lincoln, I can kind of say, well, Abraham Lincoln was like this, and Abraham Lincoln was like that. Maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong. He's not here to defend himself. But if I go, Jesus is like this, he, he might disagree, and he might make himself known. You see what I'm saying? So you talk, like if I talk about Dan, who's sitting right here, and I start saying things about Dan that aren't true, he would probably disagree with me. You know, I guess you know what I'm saying. Not necessarily. It depends on what it is. One time I was playing music at a conference, and they were introducing me, and they started reading off stuff. And I had got, got invited to this because one of my relatives was working at the school that was doing it. I started reading off. They're like, Brian Wages has been playing the piano since he was four years old. And I was like, it's not really true, but I mean, I guess he fiddled around. Okay, you know, I'll let that slide. And I'm like, Brian Wages has been, you know, I can't remember all the details, but it started getting more and more fantastic. And it was like, he has performed with some of the greatest jazz performers in, in the world. And I was like, is this, because it was kind of like this skit thing they were doing. I was like, is this supposed to be a joke? Because it's not really funny. And it sounds slightly believable if you don't know who I am, but it's like, it's just really weird. And so nobody was laughing. So I didn't know if it was supposed to be a joke, but none of it was true at all. And it started getting more and more fantastic. You know, he's been recorded with this person and that one. I was like, who are these people? Like, like if you're going to say something, like say Freddie Mercury or something, don't say like this obscure flautist or something. I had no idea what was going on. I was like, and so afterwards I went up and I was like, what was that all about? You know, none of that was about me. Like, oh, we went to your website and found your bio. I was like, I don't have a bio. Like, what are you referring to? Turns out there's another guy named Brian Wages who plays the piano. He has a website, or he did at the time, and it had a bio on it. And so <laughs> they had found that. But like Dan, I didn't correct it because, you know, I thought, whatever. It makes me sound musically better. Anyway, but point being, Jesus does what Jesus does, okay? And we can't make him do what we want him to do just because we want him to do it, you know? People think they get away with that all the time. They just don't. Um, so Jesus says, who touched me? which I kind of love, and then I also love his disciples' response because, like I said, guys, use the disciples. They're like us. You know. So imagine you're in this giant crowd, almost like a bodyguard helping push Jesus through a crowd of people, and he's like, hey, who touched me? And you're like, what are you talking about? Everybody touched you. And he's like, no, no, somebody touched me. Like, I felt power go out of me. So here's a couple of things to see from that. Um... One is we can be so caught up in <clears throat> what we think Jesus is doing, which he does go and heal the girl. So don't think that he's not doing that. He is doing that. And frankly, this is another interesting point. If you read on in the story, the, the girl actually dies before he gets there. And so here you have Jesus now touching a dead body, which at the time, he couldn't do that. We'll get back to that in a second. So these two stories go together because of that. So... Um, 
So we're focused on getting Jesus to this thing, and then he's who's touched me. Some other minister, something else is happening that's outside of what we can even notice. And frankly, when Jesus starts to point it out to us, it seems kind of ridiculous. Like everybody touched you. Like everybody here touched you, you know. And he's like, no, somebody actually touched me. Somebody that believed touched me. So here's another thing you can see with this, guys. There's a lot of different ways to encounter and touch Jesus. You may be in a room full of people that are touching Jesus, but only one person is touching Jesus. You see what I'm saying? And he knows the difference. I'm not saying that we're not worshiping. I'm not, I'm not, don't go too far with that. But my point is, just because you're touching him doesn't mean you're touching him. Okay? But she knows she's caught. And so she falls down. And she's not, I know it's a low point for her because it says she's trembling with fear. She's not like, oh, you got me. She, I, I don't know what she thinks might happen, but it's probably not good because you don't tremble with fear if you think it's good. So I imagine a person who has struggled with physical, re religious, social, financial, outcast, struggles for 12 years, is, is alleviated of that instantaneously. And then it immediately called out what happened. But I like this girl because she doesn't lie. She says, look, this is what I did. And this is what makes Jesus so awesome. He doesn't go, what? Now I'm unclean. Oh, my, you know, what am I supposed to do now? Like, he doesn't, he's just like, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. It says in this, like, if you read up a little higher, she says, immediately she her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Immediately she knew, she felt she was freed from her suffering. But then down at the end, Jesus says, go in peace and be freed from your suffering. So he, he endorses this. Then they find out immediately, like, hey, hey, I know you were coming to pray for this daughter. She actually died, so don't bother him anymore. And Jesus is like, guys, guys, it's cool. And he goes, and he heals, the, he heals the girl. And so what you see in this story is kind of an amazing thing because God's holiness is very important. You know, he's, all, he's, he's God, all right? And so I know you've seen Indiana Jones. When you approach God like that, your face melts off. Not a good idea. So that kind of thing, you know. <laughs> the, uh, and so these cleanliness laws, they matter. To God, or else he wouldn't have wrote him down, okay? And here you got a lady kind of breaking one, and he heals her, and he says, this is good. Your faith has made you well. Then now there's a dead child he has to go heal, and he heals her too, which that again should make him unclean. So now what we got now with Jesus is he's, you know, there's this kind of, when we're separated from God, as we are and were, and God starts to establish this restoration process, he elects the Hebrew people, he starts to work through them and promises to bring a savior through them and all this sort of thing. Who is Jesus, by the way? He sets up a temple. His presence is there, but we got to handle it really carefully because we don't want our faces to melt off and all this kind of thing. And then 
part of that is these cleanliness rules. And so they're trying to abide by them. And not only were they abiding by them, they had, like, made up new ones. And in a couple more chapters, like, Jesus is like, guys, y'all don't even know what you're talking about anymore. Like, I gave you some stuff to do, and now you, like, added all this other stuff. And then you're challenging me for not washing my hands the same way you are and all this kind of thing. And I'm not saying anybody's motivated by anything bad. Dealing with God's holiness is, can seem complicated. It can be difficult. It can be scary. Isaiah was scared, if you remember. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. But then here you have Jesus saying, instead of now, if you touched this, or if you bled here, or if you were hurt this way, you were made unclean. Now I, and then, oh yeah, and then if you touch me, you spread that. You make me unclean. And you make them unclean. Now Jesus is saying, now if I come and you're in the same situation and touch you, you are clean. And I touch you, you are clean. And the disciples can, now we can pray and touch each other and make people clean and spread the kingdom of God, you see. This is kind of amazing. But what jumped out to me about this is how similar... You can't miss the fact that Jesus is God, okay? It's a big, big deal. If Jesus isn't God, then Christianity is kind of, I don't know, it could be like a nice habitual practice that makes people act better or something like that. But there's no saving power, you know? And you miss so much of the the craziness of what we're talking about. We're not doing all these things to get better so we can approach God anymore, you see? He's come to us, and he's making us better by touching us or by us touching him. And so you look at this situation. A couple weeks ago, we talked about Isaiah. Isaiah, the prophet, is in the temple of God, and he sees the hem of God's robe filling the entire temple. And he's completely shaken by it in this whole thing. And the power of God is immense, and it's overwhelming and everything. And what part of Jesus' clothes, this translation doesn't show it properly, but it says she touched the hem of his robe. Now, this robe that Jesus is wearing doesn't necessarily, in the same optics, fill the temple. It's probably dragging in the dirt even. But he's God. His robe is the same thing. Now, I'm not saying that she necessarily knew all of that, but somehow she got it figured out that we need to not miss the hem of God's robe just because it looks a little different. You know, this book of Isaiah was well known at the time. A lot of people, you know, it was not like uncommon, you know. And I think it was probably very important, the connection between these two. This hem of his robe, which in one sense is representing utter immensity and holiness. Like they say hem of his robe filled the temple because it's like, Almost nothing, you know, like this, you know. Here we have this mighty temple with the presence of God, and it's like it's completely filled by like the tiniest little, you see? But then you got over here the same tiniest little piece, just a tiny touch from it, and everything is different. There's really no difference. That's a big deal. And Jesus praises the woman for her faith, which is, a, which is also a big deal. Because, you know, here you got this lady who's been, what do we say, physical problem, religious problem, social problem, financial problem, all the problems. And one touch from Jesus' cloak, they're all, 
gone. But he says, he declares things over her, which are almost like reinstating her socially. Your faith has made you well. You think about how many times he rebukes the disciples for their faith. And like, they get it too. I'm not, you know, we're not going to be down on everybody. But like, he's standing in front of everyone saying, first off, who touched me? None of you guys, you know. <laughs> she did. And they're like, that lady? You know, she might have been stigmatized by that point. Like, the crazy lady? You know, I mean, I'm not, you know, I don't want to read too much into it. But you get what I'm trying to say. He reestablishes her. K- Kayla, come on up here. I started singing a melody recently because I think that um, I struggle to see these things. The immensity of God in one sense makes sense to me because I can imagine power or something like that. But when that God comes and does these sorts of things, it starts to confound my brain, and uh, especially when when things happen that maybe I would expect um, you know, you might expect, well, God, you probably shouldn't be cool with that based on this other thing you wrote down over here. It's like, no. She gets it. It's what? I'm making all things new. What? What things? All things. Which one of all things? All the all things. What does that not include? No things. And how far that reaches and the generosity of God to use the craziest things to do the greatest things is, is, is amazing to me. Because He doesn't wait for us to have it all worked out. He doesn't wait for anything. He makes all things new. And sometimes problems persist, and we struggle for a period of time. I mean, it doesn't always happen where when we touch his robe, everything is changed. It can. I've seen it. But also, like the disciples, and I said, like, see the disciples. There's a life of following Jesus and becoming like him. That disciplines, as we talked about, these all fall into place, you know. But I started singing this. Um because I uh, just kept pondering about this. This was a couple weeks ago, actually, when I first started thinking about this. And, uh, and I just started singing this. Look at those chords there. And it was just like, Just a touch of your own It changes Just a touch of your own, it changes everything. Lord, let it be true. Let us touch your rope. be a people of robe touchers that might even push against social norms and push for the extreme outside chance that maybe just a 
Spirit touch from your robe will change it. Give us faith, Lord. In the other story I referenced, the man with the demon-possessed child, he's tried everything too. And he says to Jesus, like, look, you know, if you can do anything, please do it. All right? You can read these stories. They're like a script. You can act them out different ways. I used to think of that guy, because this is the famous, I believe, help me with my unbelief, right? It's famous, you know, verse. For, and so uh, I used to read that like, that guy doesn't have a lot of faith. But then I became a parent. And then I saw my some of my friends and some of my family members walk through very difficult things where like this woman, they had nothing left. They'd done everything they possibly could and none of it worked. None of it worked. None of it worked. And they even sought out help from Jesus' disciples and none of it worked. And something happens inside you when nothing works. Nothing works. None of it worked. And then the guy comes up to you. You might not know that his hem of his robe fills the temple. He just looks like another guy to you who's making promises like everybody else. And it doesn't sound so far-fetched to me to say, if you can do something, please do it. If you can do something about this, I would be more than happy for you to do something about it. But don't tell me you can do something if you can't. Jesus says back to him, he's like, what do you mean if? <laughs> and he's not... I don't think he's mad at the guy. I think he's just so sure of himself. He's like, <laughs> he's like, okay, you don't know who you're talking to, you know. Not like you don't know who you're talking to, but like, you don't know who I am yet. He's like, I'm gonna show you, <laughs> and he does. But the guy says back to him, he's like, I do believe. Just help me with my unbelief, because sometimes when we pile up in life stacks of disappointment, you can pile up stacks of unbelief. But look at this, guys. Does Jesus heal the child or not? Yes. So what gives us the idea that our unbelief has the power to stop God? So I want to give you the opportunity. If you've been, as I listed off problems that this woman had, social problems, emotional problems, financial problems, religious problems, physical problems. If you have any of these problems, I want you to come forward and lay them before the Lord. And I want to sing this just a few times. This is not really a song. It's just something I started singing. I guess counts as a song, but it, it's not a full, it's not like a song. <laughs> and I want to sing it over you because we believe, Lord, but help us with our unbelief. We believe, Lord, but we're distracted by our unbelief. We believe, Lord, but this seems bigger all the time. Or this is all I've known. But it's time that we start to see, I believe. And it's time that we take a risk. You know, maybe this won't work. Maybe they'll get mad at me. Maybe I'll make some people unclean. 
whatever, but it might work. So if you need to come forward and lay something before the Lord, come to these steps. This is an altar, and it represents a place of laying things before the Lord, either worship or our struggles. Anything is an offering to the Lord from our lives. And you lay it. It's between you and God. It's not between me. It's not between anybody else. But you lay it before God. And I'm going to sing this over you several times. I invite you to sing along with me. And I pray that... um, uh, that God would move in this place. So, Father, I pray that you would send your spirit to move in us. Help us with our unbelief, Lord. Father, again, help us to take you seriously and not take ourselves so seriously. Father, I pray that you would break off of us this stranglehold of taking ourselves so seriously. I don't want them to see me this way. I don't want people to think of me this way. I don't, it doesn't matter what they think. It doesn't matter what anyone thinks. And it doesn't even matter what we think they think because we're probably all wrong anyway. Lord, we want to think what you think, see the way you see, and be in your presence, Lord. Fill this place with your Holy Spirit. Yeah. 